at the heart of it was this young girl who believed something truly in her heart and wanted to share it. She said, you know, why am I not allowed to say what I believe? In North America, I've always had that freedom. But here was a, a person who that was taken away from, and yet in her heart, she overcame it. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have a special treat on this episode for you. Today's guest has written, honestly, what is probably my favorite song of all time. The name of the song is Mona with the Children. And it's an absolutely beautiful song. It was originally released in the early 1980s. And um, I came across it again on YouTube. And I thought to myself, boy, wouldn't it be cool if I could find the man who recorded that song? And it turned out that through the magic of social media, I could and I have. And here he is. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Doug Cameron. Welcome to the show, Doug. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. It's great to be here. Holy cow. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I mean, I was... Uh, when you when you contacted me, I, this this happens once in a while, not very often, but once in a while, I get contacted by people who are interested in Mona with the children, and it's always so uh, amazingly. Um, I don't know. I feel honored. I feel totally honored that somebody would remember the song um, and be moved by it, and and now even you know, however many years later, is it. 40 years, 30 years. I can't, uh, I don't even know. Years. Like, 38, 38 years. years. Oh my goodness. Um, no, that to me is such an amazing thing. It, it, it speaks of the power of the song and, and uh, the power of the story behind the song. And uh, yeah, it's great. I'm amazed. Well, I, I, I hope that the, the folks that have the rights to the song will uh, hear this and they will make it commercially <laughs> available again because it's a powerful song, and I think a whole new generation deserves to hear it. Uh, so I'll, I'll tell you the story again of how I, I, I came to, to find you. I was, um, I was listening to some old 80s music, and uh, I was listening to an old Rough Trade song, High School Confidential. And I thought, oh, I wonder <laughs> if that song is available on iTunes. So I went on to iTunes, and sure enough, it was. So I purchased it, and it was great. And then I thought... Oh my God, what are some other great 80s songs that I haven't heard in a while? And the song that came into my head, like God himself gave me the message was Mona with the Children. So I quickly went <laughs> and I typed in Mona with the Children. And there was a version of that song there, but I listened to a clip of it and it wasn't your version. And with all due respect to the singer who recorded that, not nearly as powerful for me. So I went on YouTube and I found that there was the original video that you had cut of that song. And I sat and I listened to the song and I thought, wow, started to cry. 
This Mona story is very beautiful and powerful, and we'll get into that in a moment. And I thought, I wonder if I can find Doug Cameron, ask him if I could get that song and if I could get him to come on my show. And sure enough, I found you on Facebook and I messaged you and you responded less than a day. It was amazing. And, and here we are. And, and you were gracious enough to share the song with me. And I listened to it about a half a dozen times yesterday. And it's, uh, it's been wonderful. Uh, and that song tells a very beautiful story. And perhaps uh, you can maybe tell us the story of how you came to, to write the song and record it. Yes. Um, and I was um, saying a little bit earlier that um, this morning I, w- I was walking the dog and I was thinking of, in anticipation of talking to you. And I was thinking about, you know, the, the circumstances that I wrote the song and, and the reason I wrote the song and then sort of what happened to it. Um, <clears throat> In the early 80s, um, I was a member of the Baha'i community, and I um, was involved in doing a lot of music, um, both in the Baha'i community and outside the the Baha'i community, because I was playing in bands and doing all kinds of things. And I was writing a lot of songs. Uh, I wrote, um, um, you know, I'd been writing songs since I was essentially a teenager. By then I was in my sort of late 20s, early 30s approaching my 30s and um and there were two things happening in the world um the iranian situation was such there were a lot of people from iran a lot of refugees coming to north america and other parts of the world and uh i remember meeting all kinds of iranians in los angeles who had come over to uh, america and in in the in the baha'i community there were lots of uh iranian baha'is who came to canada as refugees one of whom was a young woman. Her first name was Ruhi, and I can't remember her last name. I was trying to think of it this morning. It might have been Jahan, Jahanpur, Ruhi Jahanpur. She, was, she, she had been in prison in Iran with Mona. Wow. And she had, she had uh, and one of the things that apparently was done to these people in prison was that they would be, you know, tortured and questioned and, and interrogated, but then they would be released and almost immediately recaptured and, and taken back to prison as a way to sort of, you know, increase. Mess with them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like you're, oh, I'm free, and then suddenly you're not free. And anyway, but Ruhi had managed to escape, and she had come to Canada and was living in Guelph. And not a lot of the stories of what was going on in Iran were, were coming out. They weren't in the press. But Ruhi had come to Canada, and she was determined to tell her story what had happened to her and also what had happened to Mona because she knew Mona and she was in prison with her. And when I heard about this, I was asked to, um, I was, I was working on a a musical project to do with the Baha'i conference in London, Ontario. It was a youth conference. It was international young people were going to come from all over the world. And so I was working on a bunch of music and it was suggested or essentially I was asked to write a song about Mona. And I didn't know anything about Mona. All I knew was that she had been in prison, that she was 16, that one of the reasons that she had been imprisoned was because the the Baha'i kids, and I think kids of lots of different religions in Iran had been expelled from school, and she was teaching kids in her home. She was sort of homeschooling Baha'i kids. 
she was arrested for that. That was the nominal reason she was arrested because she was illegally teaching children in her home and that she had been executed. So I knew that she was 16. I knew that she had been teaching children and I knew that she had been executed along with these other women. I think there were nine women in total. She was the youngest. And so when I was asked this, I thought, can't write a song about that. That's awful. You know, like, that's a horrible story. I can't write a song about that. I'm writing songs about, you know, being in love and, and being a, you know, a punk rocker and all that stuff. Um, and I went away. I was living in Peterborough at the time. And I didn't, I, I sort of thought, nah, can't do that. That's crazy. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not even going to think about it. And I was walking down the street. It was about 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. And I was walking down uh, uh, Water Street in Peterborough. It's a big one-way street. There's George Street and there's Water Street. And I was right in front of the police department. And I remember this specifically because, you know, you, you notice the big police building. And there was a stoplight and I was stopped at the light. And I stepped off the curb to cross the road when the light turned green. And I said, I got this idea of dancing. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. Maybe this is not a song about being executed and imprisoned and tortured. and all. Maybe this is a song about her spirit. Maybe this is a song about dancing. So I went off and, and, and I didn't I didn't do anything immediately because I was on my way to visit somebody. And after I visited them, I went home to where I lived. I shared a, a, a big apartment in Peterborough with a number of people. And I got home and I thought, oh, I'm going to work on that. So I took out my guitar and I started playing some chords. And I sang, Mona with the children, send your love to me. All around the world, we'll go dancing. And I thought, there it is. That's the song. And and the person I, there was my friend who I lived with was in the kitchen with me and I played it and he said wow that's a great song I said I just sort of made it up I you know I, I I don't know if it's a great song he said no no that's a great song so anyway that was the that was the beginning of the the song and it it evolved over time and originally I actually didn't have the all around the world idea I I had this idea all along the line. So there's an old uh, folk music thing about the, the telegraph lines all, al all along the line and, and sort of the railroad and the line and the messages would go down the line or all along the line. And, and, the, and I think the idea of the song was that this young woman's spirit, she was sending her love all along the line. Now that later evolved into all around the world uh, when we actually came to record this song. Uh, we recorded it twice. Um, and the first time was um, for that conference. And uh, later, I, it, when it was recorded for the video, um, some of the lyrics got changed to actually tell the story better or, or differently. And that's when all around the world came. But this critical idea of dancing, and, it, and it, to me, it as a as a songwriter it transformed the story because the yes the story was you know there there was cruelty involved there was imprisonment there was all of these things but at the heart of it was this young girl who believed something truly in her heart 
and wa- wanted to share it. Uh, later, as more became known about her during her trial, she said, you know, why, why am I not allowed to say what I believe? Why am I not allowed to, to share what I, you know, what I feel in my heart? We, we hear I mean, I've, no one's ever told me I can't express what I believe or, or, you know, in North America, I've always had that freedom. And if, and, you know, we hear so much about freedom these days, but, and the freedom to, to express what you believe or what you, you know, what you love, um, I've always taken for granted, but here was a, a person who that was taken away from and yet in her heart, she overcame it. And I'll, I'll say one more thing about it, because to me, it, it, it proved to me that there was something other than just me writing the song going on here. And, and, and I think your reaction to it also speaks to this, as did many others' reaction. In the process of, of recording the song, I edited and changed the lyrics as we were doing the recording. And a lot of what had been there originally got evolved into something else. But the, the idea of dancing was still there in the chorus. Mona with the children, send your love to me, all around the world we'll go dancing. And um, I, was sing- I was in the booth singing the song. And, and in the recording world, uh, people will know what I'm talking about because the track has been recorded all the stuff is on it, the guitar, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then you go in and you do the singing and you lay down the vocal. And I'm singing the song and, you know, I'm, I'm, it's all happening. And the other thing is that it, when you look into the control room in these big recording studios, they can push a button to talk to you. But if they don't want to talk to you, they don't push the button and they talk. And you can see them talking, but you can't hear them talking. So I sing the song, and then I see everybody talking. <laughs> then they push the button, and they say, Doug, um, we're not sure about that dancing idea. I don't know. We might have to change that. And I was standing there, and, and I had, you know, there are these moments in your life when you think, okay, this, this, there's something going on here. And I, I very calmly, and I wasn't upset, I wasn't angry, I changed a lot of the lyrics, I you know, some of it I didn't want to, and some of it I did. And But I sat there and I said, okay. I said, it's okay with me if you want to change, get rid of that dancing idea. I said, but if you do, you're going to have to get someone else to sing the song, because I'm not going to sing it. And I wasn't angry. I just said, if you want to do that, great, but I'm not going to be the guy. And then, you know, I see... I can't hear what they're saying. And then the button gets pushed. Okay, we'll leave it as it is. If we want to change it, we'll get someone else later. I said, fine with me. So off we go. The next day, the producer comes to me with a letter. And he said, we just got this letter from Mona's sister. Now, Mona and her mother had escaped Iran and gone, I believe, to Saudi Arabia initially. And Mona's sister had heard about this song and about the video. And she wrote a letter. And in the letter, and the producer's holding the letter and his hands are shaking, like his hands are shaking. And he reads me the letter. And in the letter, Mona's sister said she had gone to visit Mona in the prison just before she was executed. 
And Mona said to her sister, please pray that we go to our executions dancing. So there's this moment, and I pause, and I'm a bit of a troublemaker, so I say to the producer, I say, good thing we didn't change that dancing lyric, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I mean, I couldn't help but, you know, give a little poke there. But so what I began to realize in that whole process was that something was at work. Now, if I am walking down the street in Peterborough, Ontario, in front of the police department, and I get the idea that the image for this song should be dancing. And then I find out, and that was a couple of years before we actually recorded the song. And then I find out that the subject, the person who this story was about, had asked that she go to her execution dancing. I thought, now something's going on here. Somebody is trying to get a message out yes. to somebody. And, you know, when you, I, don't, I mean, I think it's true of almost anything, uh, any pursuit, any art, certainly any artistic pursuit, you have to have an idea. You have to have something that drives the song. And in the case of a song, it has to, it has to be an image or an idea that holds enough energy that you can get through a couple of verses, a bridge, a chorus, another verse, you know, whatever, to tell your story. If you don't have a really great idea, songs don't get written, they peter out. You might get a verse and then, well, I can't think of a second verse, or, you know, you, the, the imagination doesn't work. But if you get that, I know for me, as a songwriter, if I get that idea, then I'm pretty sure I can... I can make a song out of it because that idea, that image is going to drive the energy in, in telling the story. And you, and the songwriter's job is just to figure, well, how am I going to do that? You know, what am, what am I going to, it's like making a puzzle. What am I going to assemble? How am I going to tell this story? And so for me, uh, and I saw it thereafter, everywhere I went to perform the song, I saw how people responded and I realized that, this was as much Mona, or I don't know what, but Mo- this was as much Mona reaching out to the world, to her generation, to the people, as this was me singing the song. And I don't mean to be all, you know, I mean, I didn't feel like I was somehow some kind of transported individual, but I saw the power of that image, and I saw, and here, and here you are, you know, I mean... To me, it's, it's a, a, a wonderful thing that someone would be inspired by this years later. I mean, I, I'm, I'm flattered and honored that you would you know, want to talk to me about it, but, but that you actually were still moved by that. And I've seen that over and over, long after the story. And I think you're right. I think this story powerfully could find a place in the world and, and reach people. Um, I've thought of re-recording it. I've thought of re-recording it myself. But um, and when you listen to the '80s version, when you listen to the '80s version, <laughs> you sort of hear the '80s. That it comes out you really strongly. You know, you were talking about Rough Trade, and the, the it was the same record label that released "One with the Children" that released 
um, Rough Trade. Um, and I sort of knew, I, I didn't know them very well, but I knew some of the guys in their band. And, um, you know, there's, it, it was very 80s. <laughs> was in all the glory of what was best about the 80s there was a there was a there was a driving energy to that song there is a driving energy to that song and your your voice was angelic in its quality and it just captured the power of mona's story and for me it penetrated my soul to hear you sing it still does and yesterday i listened to the song a half a dozen times it 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 gave me courage to see that if a 16-year-old uh, young woman from my home country can stand up for what she believes, maybe it's time for me to stand up for some of the things that I believe in a more uh, public and unapologetic way. And I think it's a beautiful thing what you did. You ought to re-record it. I 100% uh, want to <laughs> encourage you to do that. And if I can be a part of that project, I'd love to be a part of that project in some way. And you know, while you were speaking, I wanted to just tell you this other story. And I don't know if you've heard this story, but um, last year, there was another young man from Iran by the name of Navid Afkari, Navid Afkari. And he was a world champion wrestler. And he was executed by the regime. And the reason that he was, he was 27 years old, this brilliant, beautiful, fit young man, and uh, he was executed for demonstrating against the regime to help the people in his village uh, basically have jobs to eat. He wanted the government to stand up for that. And what they said was during the demonstration he, that he murdered a security officer and he didn't. But they used that and then he, they would put him in jail they made him sign a false confession after torturing him and said, if you don't sign this, we're going to go after the people you love. And then at the end, when he, when he, there, there's some uh, released audio recording of him speaking to his mother, where he basically said, yeah, this, it's all BS. It's not real. Um, and then he was executed. Um, the head of the UFC, you know, the ultimate fighting championship that that big uh, organization, his name is Dana White. He publicly came on uh, all over social media and television and begged the Iranian government not to kill him, not to execute him. Mm. At the time, Donald Trump was still the president and he was friends with Donald Trump. He asked Donald Trump to try to intervene. Unfortunately, Iran and America did not have good relationships, so that wasn't really going to go well, especially after Trump ordered the the the, the killing of uh, you know this uh, mastermind of all these attacks right. against Americans, right. Hassan Soleimani, Probably wasn't going to be wasn't the right guy to, to be the messenger for that. But still, this this man's story um, is is a is a sad one, and yet another one full of courage. And I thought I should tell you this. Maybe maybe you ought to look at re-recording that song and maybe writing another song. I mean, this could be this could be something pretty incredible. Well, you know, the other thing about the eighties that is a that is another remarkable story. I mean, I'm not I don't know that I can write a song about it, but. Um, I can I I can't even imagine what what it would be like. We don't even think about it here. Um, no. My entire life, I've never been in any way really oppressed. You know, I had issues when I was a kid. Blah blah blah. You know, there was always 
you know, bullies and blah, 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 blah. And I, you know, I personally, you know, have my own sort of history of all that kind of stuff, but nothing compares to the idea that you would be, you know, you're demonstrating to, to bring something good to your people. In the eighties, there was, there was a, a, a kind of, um, there was a momentum and there was an almost, you almost had to do it. You, you had to speak out. And the music and the music of the time, you know, that was part of what people were doing. There were bands like The Clash in England. There was, you know, Bruce Coburn here in Canada. Um, there were lots of people who were who were using music to speak out about political things and and oppression and all that kind of stuff. And and as well, there was the beginning of the vid- the music video, yeah. and and Mona with the Children caught that wave. Because it, it um, and in fact, the the folks that that produced the original video of Mona with the Children wanted to make a movie. They wanted to make a feature film, but that was going to cost gazillions of dollars. And so they were able to raise enough money to make a video. And in those days, making a video was sort of like making a feature film. We had three. There were three days. Three days of shooting. And there was a professional movie crew, basically, that, that made that video. It was shot on 35-millimeter film, you know, with full... And I, and, 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 but there was an imperative to start telling stories like that. And the, and the medium of the music video was a way to reach an entire generation. Yeah. Because everybody was watching much music and, and whatever it's, MTV... Yeah. I used to call much. I used to call much music too much music. <laughs> too much music because <laughs> <laughs> it was just music all the time. But you know, you if you wanted to speak out, there was a in music there was a way to do it, and there was a way to reach so many people. And I I I remember that you know whatever else happened with Mona with the children and that that album and commercially and my career and all that stuff whatever else happened is that story got known and it got known primarily in Canada because the the record had a commercial release in Canada it did have a commercial release in the states but the record company went bankrupt just after it was released in the states and so it didn't happen in the same way. Um, the Baha'i community did a lot to make it known and and to get it played in different places. But certainly in Canada, it, it was a it was a top twenty hit. In in Toronto, it was a top ten hit, and it was on the TV all the time. I mean, you could see it every day. You could hear it on the radio, and uh, and I had so many experiences where I you know I remember very shortly after it was released. I went into a, a little convenience store um, here in Toronto and uh, I was in the convenience store. I was buying milk or something or eggs. I don't know what I was doing. And I look up on the TV and there's Mona with the children playing. And there was a lady standing beside me and she's looking at the TV like this. And then she looked at me and then she looked at the TV and then she looked at me. And it was like, what's going on? This guy is right here. <laughs> That's awesome. And, well, and, and, you know, the, the, the song was pervasive. It was everywhere. And if you were, a, you know, if you were a 15-year-old or a, you know, 16-year-old at that time, or if you were under the age of 20 and you were watching much music, 
you saw Mona with the children. And for the most part, people were quite moved by it. And uh, now, I mean, uh, there's, uh, I mean, I, uh, the idea of a video now is, is almost, it's not passe, but it's like, well, there are gazillions of videos. In those days, there weren't gazillions of videos. There were a few. And videos like Mona were, were even fewer. Um, you know, there's still videos. There's still few. You don't see too many videos like that in songs. You see a lot yeah. of like images, but you don't see a story being told in the form of a, of, of a song the way that was done. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, I I as a song. So and and the other thing I was going to say was that even even though Mona was certainly the song that got the most notoriety that I wrote, I wrote a lot of other songs that attempted to speak to issues at the time. Um, on the album, there's another song called People in the Rain, and which is a song I really like, certainly of, of all of those songs. And it, it spoke about some of those things, and it spoke about some, you know, could there be a change? Um, I was That song, I was really affected by a picture on the front of a magazine where it, um, somebody in South America was handing a child a weapon and you know like a child soldier kind of situation and uh, you know there were there were all uh, i had friends at the time who um had gone to places like nicaragua and different places in central america where there were you know revolutions and and Crazy. oppression and dictatorship and all that stuff um i think and you're right music today can can move people and and um inspire people and um um yeah the commercial va the, the commercial sort of vagaries that that have sidelined mona with the children are are simply because of the way it happened and and the way that it eventually you know happened in terms of a commercial thing but certainly from the point of view of of an emotional and a social statement it was it was something profound um and I, I remember at the time thinking, I remember, and perhaps I shouldn't have thought this, but at the time I remember thinking, boy, if I never do another thing, this has been pretty, pretty something. <laughs> and, you know, I never did go on to do anything quite as dramatically um, successful as that. But, you know, I worked as a musician for many, many years after that and, and still do. And um, I still remember, and, and so many people, say to me what a great song that was and I'm I'm very proud to have had you know that that kind of involvement you should be it's a brilliant song uh, record it again please and release it again there's a whole new generation that needs to hear that message and honestly um, I have a friend he's been on my podcast who's a, a filmmaker uh, in the United States, and he makes movies with these sorts of themes, mm. themes of freedom and 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 standing up against uh, oppression. And uh, mm. he's doing a documentary right now, but he's also going to be doing a bunch of stories. Uh, happy to connect oh. you with him at some point. He's a good guy. Uh, I think he'd really want to send him the video of the song and tell them that you guys should speak. But I say re-record the song and 
you know, look into Navid Afghari's story. It's a pretty amazing story. That young man, 27 years old, had, had the courage of his convictions. Mm. Well, I'm I'm also curious about your story because I I mean I I, I don't know you at all. I've never no, heard of you. It's the before, first time, <laughs> but I'm get I'm getting a pretty good vibe from you, and I'm thinking I'll bet you there's a there must be a story here too. Um, maybe I'll get to hear it someday. But well, I'll tell you the the Cole's Notes version of it right now, and we can, <laughs> sure, we can definitely have a few more conversations. I I really have enjoyed this time, and it's an honor to spend time with you. I. You live in Toronto, so do I. So, I mean, maybe we can even connect and see each other at some point. It'd be great. Where Where do you Where do you live in Toronto? I live in the beach, and I have an office oh, in North we're, York. We're practically neighbors. I live in Riverdale. Oh my God, we're very close to each other. Well, yeah, let's go for we're, a walk on the beach. Let's make that happen. We're neighbors. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So. Um, when I was 13 years old, my uh, family decided that it was time for us to leave Iran. We're Christians. We're, we're Assyrian Christians, not Syrian, right. but Assyrian. And we left Iran. We initially went to Greece. We were there for just under two years. And from Greece, we were attempting to come to Canada. Canada finally accepted us. Um, you know, my father joined us when we were in Canada and uh, he and my mother started a, a business here. He had a business in Iran as well. Uh, it was it, it was it was incredible for me to have to leave my 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 homeland. The way they they persuaded us that yeah we should leave is hey we'll go back someday it'll all be good but right now we got to go. And it became clear after a few years that that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> Things weren't going to mm. change in Iran anytime soon. And. It became clear that Canada was going to be home. And I'll tell you one thing that I'm super grateful for about living in Canada and frankly, living in the West is that I'm free. And despite all the attempts uh, these days by certain levels of government to restrict and curtail those freedoms, this is still a country where you can go and you can demonstrate, you can vote, you can find other ways to uh, make your voice be heard. And to me, mm. that's what makes me so grateful to be a Canadian. This is truly a mm. fantastic country. I'm very blessed to be here. And I think someone who wasn't born here, who was born in tyranny, appreciates the freedoms here and, and, and is willing to fight for them, perhaps more than someone who's never known any other way of life, but a free life. And, and to people like me and people from Eastern Europe, as an example, when when we say, hey, look, the government's doing this. This isn't good. You guys should be careful. These rights, if they go, they're gone. And people are like, no, 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 they're not doing that. Our government never do that. Yes, they will. We've seen the story before. <laughs> so make sure that you don't allow that. Can I ask, where, where did you come from in Iran? What uh, I was born in Tehran, uh, and I lived Tehran. in Tehran all my life. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my father... His family is from Azvin, and my mother's family is from uh, Mashhad. So those are kind of other big cities in Iran, but certainly more provincial than Tehran. Wow. Well, I'm I, I'm uh, I'm quite touched that that you got in touch with me, and I and and, I, and I'm grateful. And so I've spent the last year and a half up north of Perry Sound. Oh, um, good for you. My wife and I have a. My wife and I have a, a cottage up there, and we we were sort of there when COVID hit, 
and we sort of stayed up there, although we've been right. back and forth. But, <laughs> but this fall, um, I decided that I'm going to come down to Toronto every week. And we're sort of in the process now of, of coming back to the city. Uh, um, you know, things are, things are a bit different than they were early on in COVID. What, you know, what yeah. with most people being vaccinated and life is a little more um, normal. And, a little more. Uh, my wife is a lawyer, oh. um, and she um, has been working more than ever. And uh, but not she's going back. They're going back to their offices probably in the new year. Um, what kind of law does she practice? She she does administrative law. Um, a lot of insolvency work with very large corporations, um, and also she does. Uh, work for educational institutions who are prosecuting cheaters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so don't cheat. <laughs> don't cheat. Um, to know. Uh, but, but what's so interesting is that she comes from a very musical family. And what's interesting in my family is that I have one brother who is a lawyer. He's now a judge. And his wife is a lawyer. And his son is a lawyer. And uh, <laughs> You're surrounded. I'm surrounded by lawyers, but Lily, my wife's family, there, including Lily, there are a lot of musicians. So, our 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 life is um, compatible in that department. In the, that's awesome. In the anyway, I'm just I don't know. No, it's good. I'm here. glad you're sharing this with me, Doug. It's been an honor to have you on the show. Um, thank you for taking the time to share your story. Um, do you have a website or any way for people to find out about some of the things that you do? Um, well, I, I have a couple of YouTube channels. Okay, and, great. What are they? Um, so uh, on YouTube, my main channel is called Douglas John Cameron, which is my full name. And I have a bunch of videos up there. I have the Mona video up there. And then I have a bunch of things that I've been doing more recently. Um I, I'll send you the links to them. And then I have another YouTube channel that is called Purple Berries. And it's it's ukulele-based. Uh, and I do a lot of... Um, some of them are quite funny. Uh, some of them are a little more serious. I have a series on my ukulele channel called Uke Doc. Um, and what it is is um, up north, uh, I have a dock. Mm-hmm on the bay and I play a song and then I jump in the water with the ukulele because I have a plastic ukulele and I was one day looking at it and I said to myself, you know, you could jump into the water with this ukulele because it's plastic. <laughs> and so I do, I play a song and I jump in the water and I've, I've had uh, two seasons now of uke dog. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have a website. Um, I do have a Facebook page, Douglas John Cameron. Okay. Um, and some of my stuff is some of my stuff is on iTunes too. Um, again, oh, Douglas under Douglas right. John Cameron. I, I use my full name these days. Um, to di the, you know, the funny thing about Doug Cameron is, and and this happened even when when Mona was on the uh, on the air. There's a Doug Cameron in Los Angeles who plays the violin. He's quite yes, well known. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and, saw that. And uh, I was I was in. Los Angeles once, and people came to the concert expecting the violin guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I, 
I wasn't him. I was somebody else. Um, anyway, so I'll send we'll you those sure. links. Please do. We'll make sure that we put all those in the show notes so that people can find you and uh, enjoy all the amazing things that you do. And thank you so much for coming here. Um, and I just want to say this to my listener. If you enjoyed this, do me a favor and share this episode with somebody who would enjoy it too. Share this episode with somebody who'd benefit from the soulful message that uh, uh, Douglas John Cameron has brought us today. Make sure that you do that. And if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, do me a favor, go on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever, leave us a rating, leave us a review. That helps us reach more people. And that's what we want to do with this. We are strong believers in freedom, free expression, and free enterprise. And the kinds of people that we bring here embody that in the work that they do. And I can't think of a better guest to talk about that than Doug Cameron with his incredible song, Mona with the Children. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's guest, the one and only Douglas John Cameron, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you happen to listen to this podcast. All that information will be in the show notes. Make sure you go to YouTube and go to the Douglas John Cameron page. Go to Facebook, do the same. Go to iTunes and look him up under Douglas John Cameron and buy some of his music and help spread uh, joy with the wonderful, soulful vibes this man gets off to the world. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.